Everyone comes into the world with a broken relationship with God. We start on the wrong track because we're born with a sinful nature. Today, we'll be learning how to change this worldly, common way of thinking about God to an uncommon way of thinking. This message is the third in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Common to Uncommon. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Amen. Are you ready to study God's Word this morning? Fantastic. Let's take a moment and greet all the folks at our Frederick campus. All you folks in Frederick, we welcome you this morning as you're joining us live for worship today and the study of God's Word. You can grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. We will get there eventually this morning. Romans chapter 12 will be our theme passage today, verses 1 and 2, but I'm going to lay some foundation before we actually get to those two verses. We're involved in a series of messages talking about how do you and I improve our thinking because to improve your life, you have to improve your thinking. The better thinking you have, the better life you will have. The Bible is very clear about that. And to have healthy thinking, you also need to have a, a, an element of thinking that is a very significant part of that, that big picture. To have healthy thinking, you also have to have holy thinking. Holy thinking is what leads to healthy thinking. And today I want to talk to you a bit about how to have holy thinking, how to move from the common way of thinking to the uncommon way of thinking. How do we move from the unholy mindset to a holy mindset in our life? I'm going to define all those terms for you in just a bit. Now, to understand how to move from the common to the uncommon, from the unholy to the holy way of thinking, I need to lay a little bit of a a foundational understanding for all of us spiritually. So I want you to stay very close with me, tied into what I'm going to share with you for the next few moments, because theologically, this is very important to understanding how you change your mind and change your thinking that will ultimately change your life. The Bible says that when we come into the world, when we're born, All of us are born under a curse. It's a curse called sin. Every human being is born into our world with a sinful nature. There's no one that is an exception to that. All of us are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By nature, we are sinners. And not only are we sinners by nature, that is, we have a bent toward doing wrong when we're born into this world. That is a bent that we need to be redeemed from. That's why Jesus came, to save us from our sins, our sinful nature. But also, that sinful nature, part of the nature is a mind that is hostile against God. A mind that, is actually, that actually fights God. Maybe you can look back on your own life and remember that before you met Jesus, before you gave your life to God, you kind of resisted Him. You didn't cooperate with God very much because you had an orientation that was an anti-God orientation. Sinful nature, our sinful nature produces this mindset in us. Notice how Paul describes this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Those who live according to their, what's the phrase there? Sinful nature. Okay, so that's what you and I have when we're born in this world have their, what's the next word? Mind. So notice that there's a dimension of the sinful nature that affects what? Your your mind. Have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, as those who've been born again or given their life to Christ, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So notice there are two mindsets. What the flesh or what the sinful nature desires and what God desires, what the Holy Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, that if you live according to this sinful nature and the thought processes of sin, it will lead you to death, and, but the mind controlled by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. The sinful mind is, what's the next phrase say there, is 
hostile to God. You must understand that. That our sinful mind, our sinful nature, yields a mind that fights God, that resists God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So we're all born with a sinful nature that is reflective in a sinful mindset that resists God. We prefer to do life our way rather than God's way. That's our nature. We live self-centered, selfish lives. That's the orientation of our sinful thinking. It's all about me. It's all about you when you're living according to the sinful nature. Now, let's take that and let's say you put a whole group of people in the same room, all with a sinful mind. What kind of group you're going to have? What kind of group think are you going to have? Sinful group think, right? You with me on that? If you got everybody in the same room and they all have the kind of same mindset to resist God, sinful nature, then not only do we have individuals that think that way, but now we have a group that thinks that way. And that's what I want you to see today because we live not just individually in our orientation of fighting God as sinful nature, in our sinful nature, but we live in a world that fights God as well. And so we often refer to that as worldly thinking. Some of you perhaps have heard that phrase before, worldly thinking, and you're wondering, what does that really mean? What does it mean to think like the world? Well, it's exactly what I'm describing here. It's just a whole bunch of sinners thinking sinful ways and, and, and embracing sinful values. And so when you put sinners collectively, collectively together, you have a sinful corporate mindset. And we live in a world today, we always have lived in a world that has a sinful orientation collectively, not just individually, but corporately in the world around us. The world does not value what God values. The world does not make decisions the way God would want you to make decisions. The world does not relate to one another in relationships the way God says relationships ought to work. The world does not define morals the way God defines them. The world that we live in, it's worldly thinking. And so because of that, again, we are resistant, not just individually toward God, but we're resistant as a culture toward God. Our whole court culture, the worldly culture around us, fights God. Isaiah the prophet spoke of this, actually speaking on behalf of God in Isaiah chapter 55, verse, verses 8 and 9. God declares to us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, hey, you guys down here on earth, you don't even think the way I think. My thinking is so much beyond how you think. You, you need to grasp that there's a different way of thinking, my way of thinking. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, by the way, I haven't forgotten Romans chapter 12. I promise we'll get there in just a moment. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, describes every person here as a Christian believer. Before you met Christ, it describes where your mind was. Listen to it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That is, before you met Jesus, this was the condition you were in, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live which you follow, when you followed the ways of this world. That is the thinking of this world. You were just going along with the world. Whatever the world said was okay, you said, well, I guess it's okay because everybody says it's okay. And so you live that way based upon not what God said, but what the world said. So worldly thinking permeated your thinking before you met Christ. 
It goes on to say, and, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So again, before we met Jesus, we lived, yes, in the world, but we also thought like the world. Notice Colossians 2 verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Notice the spiritual powers of this what? World rather than from Christ. I'm trying to help you to see that we live in a world that thinks contrary to God. Everywhere around us, through the media, through entertainment, through every exposure we have to the world around us, there is a message that is not always flagrant, not always uh, out front, but there's this message that is an anti-God message. It's do your own thing, live life your way. It's a lot of different values that, it, that represents the, world, the world's way of thinking, but there's a very clear delineation, a very clear distinction between the way God thinks and the way that we are to think. Are you following this? World's way, God's way. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Now take a look at uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and, 15 and 16, as it describes, again, this distinction between the world and God's way, the kingdom of God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. These are the ways of the world. This is the way the world thinks, John says, wanting to please our sinful nature, our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. None of these things come from the Father, but all of them come from the world. So are you seeing here again, there's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Two very distinct kingdoms. The kingdom of God with a different set of thoughts and the kingdom of this world with a different set of thoughts. The kingdom of God with a different set of values. The kingdom of this world with a different set of values, right? Very distinct differences that exist. Now, when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, Again, we're laying theological foundations for you today. When you come to know Jesus Christ, that moment that you say, Jesus Christ, I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my heart. I confess you as Lord. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again from the grave. I believe in you and receive you as Savior of my life. In that moment, a miracle happens inside of you. Call the new birth, and you are born again in that moment. Your sins are washed away. You're given a brand new start in Christ. If any man being Christ, the Bible says he is a new creation, old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And here's what I want you to see, in that instant when Jesus Christ comes to live in you and the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you, in that moment you get a new mind. It's clear in the Bible, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things. Read the rest of it with me. For we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say we're going to get the mind of Christ. What does it say? We, we have the mind of Christ. So when you were born again, you received, as a part of that salvation package, you received a new way of thinking. You received the mind of Christ. However... A mind has to grow. A mind has to develop. 
It's, just, it's true in the natural realm. When a little baby is in utero, they're developing, obviously, physically, but their little brain is developing as well, and they're born into this world. When they come into the world, they're now beginning to learn things along the way. Their mind begins to be operational in new ways, and over time, they learn stuff, and you see the difference from nine months to a year, and from a year to two years, and then two years to four years, and four years to six years. You see the mind developing, Right? If you have kids, you understand what I'm talking about. There's a really big difference between a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Their minds have developed significantly. And their minds are growing. Their minds are developing. When did they get their mind? Not a trick question. When they were conceived, right? Right at that moment when, the, when there was this fertilization process, and by the way, you must understand that life begins at the moment of conception, okay? That's when life begins, at the moment of conception. That's how God views life, at the moment of conception. And so when there's that moment of conception that transpires, there is everything, all the seeds necessary, everything necessary for what that child will be when they come out of the womb and enter out the rest of their life. All the DNA, everything about their development is present then. And so that little mind and seed form starts to develop at that moment and continues to develop. So when did they get their mind? When they were conceived. When did you get the mind of Christ? That moment that you were born again when you came into relationship with Jesus. But here's the problem. You've got to develop that mind of Christ. Because if you don't develop it, if you don't work on thinking God's way instead of thinking the world's way, you'll be a grown-up, if you will, physically, and you'll be a little baby spiritually. Because you're still thinking, yes, you have a new mind, but you haven't developed it to think like God thinks. You're still thinking like the world thinks. You know, there are a lot of people who are actually Christians. They call themselves followers of Jesus Christ and very well may be followers of Jesus Christ. But when you investigate their thinking, they're still thinking more like the world than like God. Why? Because we haven't gone through that process of growing and developing our hearts and minds. Now, this takes us now to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to ask you to read this together with me, aloud and loudly. All you folks in Frederick as well, if you'll read with me today, and let's all lift our voices and proclaim God's Word. Here we go. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how does God transform you into a new person? By changing what? By growing you up in your mind, by allowing your spiritual development to begin to think, you begin to embrace thoughts that are, that are no longer the common thoughts of this world, but they begin to be the uncommon thoughts of God's kingdom. Now, Understand when I use the word common and uncommon, there's another way I could say this. I mentioned it a moment ago. We could call them unholy thoughts or holy thoughts because the word common in the Bible is a word that can be actually translated to mean unholy and the word uncommon can be translated to mean holy. 
The word holy in the Bible is a word that really describes items, regular old items that were pulled out of the world's usage and brought into the service of God in the tabernacle or in the temple. And what they would do is they would consecrate or dedicate, say, a basin or a a pitcher or some kind of thing that would be used in the Lord's service in the tabernacle or in the temple. They would pull it out of the world's usage and they would dedicate it and consecrate it and put it into the Lord's use. And so what was common becomes becomes uncommon what was unholy becomes holy and it's never to go back to worldly service again so that's the idea that God wants to move you and I from a common way of thinking and by the way would you agree with me that the common way of thinking in our culture today is anti-God thinking right that's the common way the common way of thinking never, never really considers a whole lot about God's ways. Oh, they might, some might acknowledge that He exists. Some others fight even that reality of His existence. But the, but the fact of the matter is the world that we live in has a common way of thinking that is not oriented toward God. And so what God says to you, if you want a healthy mind, you need a holy mind, which means you have to stop thinking like the world. You have to start thinking more in line with God. You have to become uncommon in your thinking. Now, that being said, I want to, what I want to do for the rest of my time today is I'm going to lay out for you ten ways that your thinking needs to change if you're going to move from the uncommon to the common, from the common to the uncommon, from the unholy to the holy. So these are ten ways your thinking must change. I'm going to encourage you in 2014 to work on these ten things to move again from the common way of thinking to the uncommon way of thinking. Number one, your thinking needs to move from the temporary to the eternal. How does most of the world view life? They view life as temporary. They never think a whole lot about eternity. In fact, they spend most of their energy building up their little kingdom here on earth and building up everything they can for themselves here. And that's the mindset of the world. They think very little in terms of eternal consequences. They don't think past retirement. And their goal is, I'm going to do everything I can, succeed, make it to the top as much as possible, and then I'll retire and enjoy my life. And there's nothing wrong with retirement. I'm not talking about that at this moment. But the mindset of the world is all about living in a temporary way. Very few people stop along the journey of their life and say, you know what? It really isn't about this life. It's about the life that is to come. You know that the greatest life that you're going to ever have and experience is not the life for 70, 80, 90, 100 years here on planet Earth. It's the eternity that you will spend after that and by the way if you haven't calculated eternity it's infinity so you must think about the fact that my life is not temporary my life is eternal Jesus warned us about this it said the ways of the world is that people want to lay up treasures here on earth And so what they do is they lay up their treasures, and he says, by the way, understand when you lay up treasures here on earth, understand that thieves can break in and steal them. Anybody had something stolen from you before? And moths can come in and destroy, and rust can corrode. Understand if you lay up stuff here on earth, there's no guarantee that you're going to keep it. In fact, you will not keep it. You will leave it behind. But if you store up treasure in heaven, then you're preparing for what will be your eternity. And so godly thinking, uncommon thinking, is to think less about the temporary and more about the Eternal. Number two, second thing, move from your in your thinking, change from the me pleasing me to pleasing him. Your thinking has to change 
from this pleasing me to pleasing him. And who is the him? God. Most of us spend quite a bit of our energy trying to make ourselves happy. I cannot count, I don't know the figure if we put all together all of the figures of entertainment and all the kind of pleasure things that exist in our world today. How much money annually is spent on people trying to just make themselves happy? Billions of dollars, I'm sure, that are spent just in the entertainment realm of people trying to somehow make themselves happy, pleasing themselves. And what I want to, there's nothing wrong with having pleasure at times. Pleasure can be a part of life. But the key thing is to realize my whole life is not about me being happy and pleasing me. My life now as a follower of God's kingdom, as a servant of God, is to make sure that my life is pleasing unto Him. And so I've got to shift my thinking. It really is no longer about me. Everything I do now is about Him. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. You can write it down if you're not familiar with this verse. It's verse 33. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Now what we do is we seek everything else. That becomes the primary orientation of our life. And God says, no, no, no. Seek me first and make sure that I'm number one in your life. And I promise you, I'll take care of everything else. And so in this year, can I challenge you as a believer in Jesus Christ to make the decision. I'm going to move from this pleasing me mentality to pleasing him. Number three, you have to change your thinking from thinking of myself as the owner of my life to understanding that I am a steward or a manager of the life that God has given me. Guess what? You don't own your life. Most people think, you know what, hey, it's my life. I can do with my life whatever I want to do with my life. It belongs to me. No, it doesn't. Your life doesn't belong. Your life is a gift. Every breath that you take is a gift from God. Every, every, every moment that you, you're, you're, you're living and moving, the Bible says in Him we live and move and have our being. And so every part of your existence is not something that you have and that you own. It's something that God has graciously given to you. And so you don't own your life. You don't own anything. I promise you, you'll find this out when you die. You take nothing with you. You don't own a thing. It's all left behind, and so there's nothing of your life that you own, but you are a manager, you are a steward of the life that God has given you, because one day you and I, all of us, will stand before God, and we we will give an account of how we lived this life, how do we handle the gift of life that God gave us, and so we need to start thinking about that not then, we need to start thinking about that now, amen? And to live your life to understand, I don't own anything. I don't own my own life. I don't own my own resources. They don't belong to me. Who do they belong to? Everything I have belongs to God. Number four, we move from focus in our thinking, from focus on my freedom to an awareness of my responsibilities. You know, the world's thinking is a thinking of freedom. I've got the freedom to do this and the freedom to do that. Well, yeah, you might have the freedom to do certain things, but is it the responsible thing to do? I'm going to just venture over into meddling a little bit this morning. Is that okay? Are you ready? Dads, let me talk to you. Do you have the freedom as a dad to walk out on your family? Oh, yeah, you have the freedom to do it. They're not going to come and arrest you if you walk out on your family, but is it the responsible thing to do? It's not. 
We have a lot of things that would be, oh, we have the freedom to do it. And if we're guided by our freedoms rather than our responsibilities, what happens? We begin to drop very important balls in our lives. And so it's important to realize that the perspective of God is not about your freedoms. It's about your responsibilities. Because I assure you, if you do your responsibilities, you'll have plenty of freedom. The freedom that you need in your life is found not in avoiding responsibility, but it's actually in embracing responsibility. And so the world would try to pull you toward the freedom mindset. It's just my life again. I can do with it whatever. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I'll give you another illustration. If you, when you see someone by the roadside, let's talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. You see the, somebody by the roadside hurting. Do you have the freedom to go right by them? Of course you do, but what is the responsible thing to do? To be your brother's keeper. And so there are many elements of life where we can be free to do something, but it's not responsible. Number five, we have to change our thinking from a perspective of adjustable morals to a belief in God-defined morals. I need just a few amens today. The world's mindset is a mindset that says this, morals are adjustable. Oh, what was right and wrong yesterday may not be right and wrong today. After all, we're evolving as a culture. We don't have to, we don't have to hold to those old rules and regulations any longer. We don't have to believe those old moral things anymore. We can change the moral boundaries. It started back in the 50s and 60s and 70s with this mindset of something called situational ethics. And situational ethics said, well, whatever is right and wrong just depends on the situation. And so you get to be the definer of what is right and what is wrong. Dear ones, understand something today. Our God is not taking a vote on what's moral. Our God has set in His Word those things that are right and those things that are wrong. He did so because He made us. He created us. And as the creator of humanity, as the creator of your life and my life, He knows what is best for you. And so the moral codes of the Bible, that is when God says this is right and this is wrong, those are essential for your health. Why? Because God made you and He knows how you function best. The same is true for a society. When God says to a society, this is right and this is wrong, when you and I begin to push away and say, you know what, those are just adjustable then what happens is we put ourselves against what God says is healthy for us as a group of people, as a society together. And so as a group of believers, as individual believers as well, we have to say, you know what, I'm not going to live my life with this mindset that morals are adjustable. I'm going to embrace the fact that God has the right and the authority to define what is right and what is wrong. Amen? Number, number six. Thank you for the four claps. I appreciate that. Number six, you have to change your thinking from lust to love, from getting to giving. See, we're talking about moving from the common way to the uncommon way of thinking, right? The common way of thinking in our world today is to build your life on your lusts. A lust is this. Lust goes far beyond just the sexual aspect of it. That's part of it. But lust is wanting something and being driven towards something so desperately that you will not defer your gratification to get it. 
I've got to have this. And also you give no consideration really to the broader picture other people around you to get it. Because you have a drive, you have a desire, you have an impulse, you have something that is saying, I want that, I've got to have that. And that lust drives you to do things, make decisions that are centered around your own life rather than really considering what happens with someone else. Love is very different. Love, on the opposite side of that, doesn't think about being driven by what you want or what you need. Love thinks about the need of somebody else or something else first. And so the goal of love is to leave things better, to build up, to strengthen, to make sure that we are caring for the people around us. The world of lust says, I don't really, really care about what happens to anybody else. I just want it for me. And generally, we don't consciously think that way, but that's what's happening when you're being driven by lust. Many of the relationships that occur in our world today start out, and oftentimes the only foundation they will have is a foundation of lust And because they're built on lust, lust doesn't last. Say it with me. Lust doesn't last. Say it again with me. Lust doesn't last. I could take you through all kind of illustrations of that today, but I think you probably have some from your own life. Time when you've lusted for something and realized, my goodness, I got what I wanted, but then I wanted something else. I got what I wanted, but then as soon as I got that, there was something else that came to the surface. I, well, i got to have that too. And then before long, it's something else. So lust never lasts. Love is eternal. Now abide three things, faith, hope, and love. Now they abide. That is, the Bible says, now they will endure. Faith, hope, and love. And so love endures. Love is always going after the big picture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let me ask you a question. You think it was a great day and, and when, when God said to Jesus, hey, I want you to leave all the beautiful glories of heaven and go down there to nasty earth. Leave all this angelic, beautiful, perfect environment and I want you to come, go down to heaven, go from heaven to earth. I want you to live among sinful man and I want you to be the redeemer. In fact, what's going to happen is you're going to die on a cross for the sins of the world. That was not the most pleasant thing for Jesus to contemplate. But did he do it? Yes, he did it. Why did he do it? Because he loved us. God so loved the world. See, love will cause you to make sacrifices in your own life for the sake of something or somebody else. Love is the greatest force. The greatest of these is love. So this year, can I challenge you to move from lustful thinking to love-filled thinking? Number seven, to be a kingdom-minded thinker, to think like God wants us to think, we have to move from allegiance to my culture to allegiance to kingdom culture. Every person has a culture, and culture is a good thing. Nothing wrong with culture. But everything is wrong when we put our culture above kingdom culture. See, when you and I were born again, we became citizens of a new kingdom. Amen? When you and I were born again, we were given a brand new passport. We were covered by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm so glad that when I die and I, and I head into the eternities, I'm glad that I get to go straight through heavenly immigration. They will not check my fingerprint. They will not check my eyeball. They will not, I have nothing that I need to present. The only thing I can say is, by the grace of God, I believe in Jesus. He saved me, okay? I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
But see, that's, that has, your kingdom allegiance has to trump every other allegiance in your life. Your commitment to God has to trump every other commitment that you have in your life. And you can't hold on, you can't elevate other commitments above God because what happens when you elevate other commitments above God, that other commitment becomes an idol in your life. Because anything that is above God becomes idolatry. And so, you know that your culture can become idolatrous to you? Just like a possession can become idolatrous to you. And so our first identity is that I am a child of the King. My first identity is that I belong to the family of God. I'm one of His children. I am a part of His kingdom for eternity. That's our first and foremost identity. Yes, all the other identities can fall in place after that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But our first identity is I am a child of the kingdom, and I want to learn the kingdom ways rather than just my ways. Amen? Number eight, change your thinking in 2014 from a feelings-based life to a precept and principle-based life. You've got to change the way you think. If you're going to live a good life, you can't live just by emotions. You can't live by what you feel. Your feelings are very subjective. Your feelings are very, uh, very pulled by different things that will happen from time to time in your life. And worldly thinking leads you to the wrong feelings anyway. Because what you think affects what you feel. So you make a choice in your life to say, you know what, I want to learn to, to live my life on the precepts of God. The precepts are the laws of God, the commands of God, and the principles of God. These are the principles of wisdom found in His Word. And so I might feel like I want to do something, but if God's Word says that that's contrary to His will, then I'm going to go by the Word, not by what I feel. Right? You can feel like doing a lot of things, can't you? Somebody can make you really mad and you can feel like hitting them. But is that the wise thing to do? No, of course not. Now see, these are the things. You, you don't go by your feel. There's an urge that rises. There's a feeling, an emotion that's there, but you don't act it out. You make a choice to say, you know, I'm going to live contrary to feelings. It has application in lots of different ways. Number nine, from pursuing success to pursuing significance. You have to change your thinking this year. If you're going to move from the common to the uncommon, you're going to have to change your thinking from pursuing success to pursuing significance. Most people in the world, the common way of thinking is, I want to be successful. I want to get to the top, and I want people to look at me and say, wow, that person, that man, that woman, they really made it. They made it to the top of their profession. They made X amount of dollars. They accomplished X amount of things. And so we live, we tend to live from a worldly mindset with what can I do to be successful and what can I do to appear successful. You know, there are people that will spend all kind of money just to appear successful. I mean, they don't even have the success, but man, they want to look like it. They'll go into major debt just to appear successful. Because success becomes a God in our life. It drives us. Let me tell you something that is better than success. What is better than success is living a life of significance. What is a life of significance? That you live your life with a purpose. The purpose ought to be to advance Jesus Christ and His kingdom in our world, to advance the work of His church in our world, to advance the knowledge of Christ and God around the world. When you begin to live that with the gifts and talents and opportunities that God has given you, it's not about you being successful or me being successful, but 
how can I make a difference with my life and make such a significant impact that when I'm gone, I leave a legacy. Not just a, hey, look at him, he was successful, but I leave something that lives beyond me because I lived a life of significance, a life of, impor- a life of purpose. Number 10, we have to move and change our thinking from ignoring God to consistently acknowledging God. The mindset of the world is primarily a mindset that just kind of ignores God. Day in and day out, most people, the common orientation of most people, they don't think a bit about God. Maybe from time to time, a thought of God might pop into their head, but they don't normally spend a lot of time or energy thinking about God, except when something bad happens. And then when something bad happens, something of a crisis comes up, the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, God! Right? And so they live their life basically ignoring him until they feel like they need him in a moment, and they call on him in that moment, and quite often they find help from him in that moment, and then they go back to the common way of thinking again, just ignoring him. That's not the way God wants you to live. God wants you to live not from crisis to crisis, but from glory to glory. Let me say that again, all right? All right? Most of us live, many of us, even as Christians, we live from crisis to crisis. When a crisis comes up, man, our prayer life goes, whoop. And the crisis goes away, and what happens to our prayer life? Whoop. Crisis comes, man, we're at church every weekend. Whoop. Our Bibles are open, we're studying God's Word, we're getting something for, to get us through, and then the, the, the storm passes, and what happens to us? Back to where we were before. And God says, no, no, that's not the way I want you to think. I don't want you to think crisis to crisis. I want you to think glory to glory. What that means is I want you to build a relationship with me. I want to build a relationship with you. There's a sustained relationship that day in and day out, you're acknowledging me and I'm able to work in your life. As the scripture says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him. 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 And he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. So how do you get on a straight path? You don't do it if you're living from crisis to crisis. You get on the straight path when you're living in an, in an acknowledgement, a day-to-day acknowledgement of relationship with Jesus Christ. So what am I sharing with you this weekend? Do you want a healthy mind? Do you? I'm assuming you do. You're here today, right? You want to, you want to have a mind that is everything it needs to be? that sets you up to be all that God made you to be. To have a healthy mind, you have to have a holy mind. And a holy mind, you have the mind of Christ, but you have to develop it by making a choice to think God's way instead of the world's way. To move from the common to the uncommon. Let's bow our heads together in prayer today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'll take the message this morning and let it come deeply inside of us. I pray that in a good way, Lord, that you would, you would confront and address things in our life where we are still oriented toward the worldly way of thinking. And I pray that you would adjust us this morning, Lord. Help us to begin to see the light that we need to see. 
and that our spiritual minds might grow, Lord, that we'll, we'll move from the sinful nature's way of thinking to the Spirit's way of thinking. You'll take this and move it deeply into our hearts, into our lives. Lord, I pray that for the folks in Frederick, the folks here in Gaithersburg, I pray for all of us. Let this be a miracle-working moment in our life today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.